Grab your popcorn and silence those cell phones because the show is about to start. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Rick Blaine is an award-winning film critic featured on thebigscreen.net.org and has been highlighted on over 75 unreleased independent film posters in less than 12 different countries. Nick Brown. He's been the high school projectionist for the AV Club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened. And now, they're joining forces. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. And we're back. <laughs> oh wait, we're not doing a horror movie episode, are we? No, we're sorry, not. It's sorry. not really that devious of an episode sorry. today, unless See, you want it to be. My kiddo's already getting excited about Halloween, and it's August, so go figure. Anyway, Rick and Nick. Gee, I wonder. Flicks. I wonder who's influenced that. My wife and I both. Yes, both of us favorite holiday, and already. Did I see you guys were doing a pirate? Uh, a pirate night last night. We did. Yeah, kind of happened impromptu, but uh, yeah. My kiddo's got a playground in the backyard, and usually it's a submarine, but today it turned into a rickety, or last night turned into a rickety old pirate ship, and uh, mom and dad get in on the act, and I haven't found something on YouTube, like one hour of continuous pirate music, so we're blaring the soundtrack around. It was fun. I'm the neighbors sure, were looking at us like, oh my goodness, Yeah, no. I'm sure there was a lot of Pirates of the Caribbean music that was no, going it was, there. No, I never heard Ooh. it. I don't know what it was. Okay. Go to YouTube, look for, type in pirate music, and it's one of the first things that comes up. It's like an hour of straight pirate music. Awesome. Awesome. Well, good time. Yes. So, as you said, the name of the podcast is... Rick and Nick Parlez avec Phil Cinema. Wow. You knew French or no French? We. Oui. We oui. <laughs> Merci. All Rick right. and Nick Talk Flicks, uh, usually brought to you by the Bemidji Theater. Looking very forward to get back to see some films there. They are open. They are showing a lot of great classic films. They are. Uh, go get yourself some popcorn, if nothing else. If nothing else, swing by the snack bar, because that's what supports the theater. Swing by, grab a popcorn, a drink, and walk right out the door. Uh, normally, that might be a weird thing, but these days, I think it's becoming more acceptable. And it is becoming important for these theaters, yes. too, as far as some income goes. We've talked about how movies make money, uh, how movie theaters make money, and, and they do so off of concessions in a, in a major way. So that's very important to keep in mind, too, is that going to get your movie theater popcorn that you really like, that's pretty helpful to the movie theaters these days, um, especially as they are starting to get back up and running. But yes, last week, the Bemidji Theater officially reopened for movies, social distancing involved. Uh, they are, again, showing classic movies, just like you said, Dave, uh, a wide selection of movies that you can go and check out on the big screen. If you feel so inclined, if you're still a little bit more uncertain about going, um, you want to pl- you want to keep things safe and you want to take precautions, you can still go and get the popcorn and you can go that route too. And, and I'll play the bad guy as much as I want to support the theaters. I'm not going to be buying a ticket, but I, I swing by and get a popcorn. I wouldn't say that's playing the bad guy. I- I'll certainly go and support him and grab a popcorn and, a, and an M&M's and a, and a Coke or something just to wet my whistle as I'm making my way down Highway 2 right past the Bemidji Theater. Sure, why not? And that supports them, and that's good. Um, but I'm not going to buy a ticket until this thing is over and done with. Although just this morning, Russia apparently has come up with an untested vaccine that I hope doesn't transform the Russians into like super villain, you know, Spider-Man type things, you know. Oh my goodness, this is untested. That's erected. Oh my goodness. 
Could have could be its own intro to a nice movie that'll be coming to the Bemidji Theater. I was going to say your movie mind seemed to take over there for a moment, Dave. Bad vaccine. <laughs> now oh, opening. Man. Yeah, that was gonna be, I think, the only real major um current news story is on a local front that the theater is open again. That's really the the main one that came to mind. Although on another note, uh I mean, did we talk about Mulan last time? Or, oh, we've talked about it in passing, but we haven't uh, talked about what you're going to talk about. Which is that it's going to be available on Disney+, Plus, and it's going to be available at the end of this month for twenty nine ninety nine. You yeah. can pay extra on top of whatever you already pay for Disney+, Plus by a mile, to watch the new Mulan movie that would have been in theaters for anywhere between... 8 and $15, depending on the movie theater and depending on how much prices are to go see a movie there. $29.99 to watch this movie. Well, if you think about it, I mean, if it's just you alone on the couch, yeah, maybe not. But if you've got a family of four, what's a ticket cost at the movie theater, depending on, even if you're not, even if you're going to a matinee, if you're talking about, say, a $10 ticket, roughly, times four, that's not a bad deal. That might be, you know... Bring in two of your kids and get the third one in for free or kids, whatever the case. we're splitting costs on this one. Everybody pony up. You get your own popcorn. You get your <laughs> own whatever. It's basically substituting the price of a movie ticket. So even if it's you and just a date, you're pretty much on par for what you'd pay at the movie theater, except you're at your own house and you got, you know, whatever. If so- you were planning to go alone, though... Uh- yeah. yeah, you're you're gonna have to like invite somebody over who's a close friend or something. But I think yeah. what they're talking about is like a rental for what a 24 hours, so you can watch it again and again and again for 24 hours. I, th- I think is how it goes. So you could theoretically have people coming in and out of your house. Not that I would recommend it. You know, have the neighbors over. Okay, you can have a gate distance. essentially. Sure. Yeah, your own little movie gate. Yep. You know what? Just turn the TV against the, the window, get the speakers aiming out the window, and have a couple chairs set up and bring over the Johnsons to sit and watch the show. And then, okay, thanks, thanks for coming. Okay, the Andersons come over now and watch the show, and you're just being the neighborly guy. <laughs> you it would could be. be done. I, I think there might be some copyright issues with that uh, as far as like public showing of it. I don't know. It, Did they pay? it out the window. Did they pay? Well, if they, the paid, if they paid... That's that's a good point. If they Dave. paid to come watch the movie on your lawn, then you got a problem. But if you're inviting somebody over for movie night, no. It's what's the difference if you're inside or outside and they're not paying for anything to come over and watch a movie at your house? Totally legal. Otherwise, all of America is going to be up against the wall spreading them. And what an interesting movie that would make. Yeah. So that's that is one of the latest pieces of news. That's a pretty big one. But um, boy, that. that it was strange seeing that price. I think you framed it pretty well, though, Dave, of the why behind that, especially if it's a, a family or a group that would have gone to see it, um, if it's a smaller group of people, or if if somebody just wants to watch from the comfort of their home, just one person. Ugh, well, it, it's and a little they're going to do the same thing with, you ever see Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? Yes, it's Our, been a while, but nice. I've seen it. So the first one was great. Excellent. Second one, Bogus Journey, eh. But the, the new one, Bill and Ted Face the Music, is going to be simultaneous, and it's, the, the, the date is getting moved around a lot. They moved it up a couple of days, but it's coming out on theaters and on VOD. And the same thing with VOD, I don't know what the price is, I don't think it's been set yet, but I would not be surprised if it was something like 20 30 bucks 
to rent it for VOD for the same reasons. You yep. and five people can watch it for cheaper than you would at the theater at home must supply your own popcorn, or better yet, swing by the theater, get your popcorn and snacks and stuff, and support the theater, and then go back home and watch Bill and Ted. So this is not a new thing. This is we have some movies that don't go to the theaters at all. I mean, even before the pandemic, Correct. they just go direct VOD for that kind of cost. And this is changing the game where there's always been a minimum of three month window between theatrical release and when it's available on let's just call it other platforms, streaming or whatever. Well, that agreement is pretty well coming to an end and theaters and the theater owners aren't liking it because that's time that they could have it exclusively on the big screen that if you're going to see it you need to see it here and then after three months or whatever the window is then it becomes available in other places well now you're starting to for understandable reasons get into the point where it's going to be on vod or it'll be both and when this pandemic is over it's growing increasingly likely overwhelmingly likely that that window's not coming back we're starting to see the norm now, and it could put um, an endangerment on theaters for theatrical exhibition. Well, I was about to say that I, I really hope this is only a temporary thing, that this is just simply something that they are doing with the times because of the pandemic. But that's that's concerning if you like the classic movie theater experience and certainly for the theaters too like you mentioned dave that's that's a concerning thing if if this is being talked about as becoming the new norm who's dictating that as being the new norm though is it is it those who who are putting these movies out are they saying we should go this route from here on out is it because of the consumers who's dictating that or is it simply a narrative thing i th- that's kind of what starts to it's, cycle around in my mind a little bit of who's dictating that this is going to be the new norm well it's generally the you know you think about the options available to you on the various different platforms of where you can watch whatever kind of content you want and this is going to bleed into the other kind of topical thing i was going to bring up just brand new news which is a lot of these streaming services are owned by, or at least partially, like Peacock, for example, is NBC and Universal. Well, it's the same company. They're owned by the same company. Uh, you've got uh, uh, um, HBO Max. Well, that's Warner Brothers, Warner Media. So all of these different, you know, Paramount, they're going to relaunch CBS All Access now that they kind of reunited finally, which Star Trek fans are happy about too. Um, they're going to lo- re- redo CBS All Access and bring much more Paramount content into that. So already they've got their own platforms to release this stuff. Well, we've got new things coming out. We want people to subscribe to our service. We've got great new shows. Why are we letting this toil out in this other building that we don't own? And that's the other thing. So there was back in, I have to look this up. I'm not looking at it right now, but back in the 1930s, for, no, 40s. They came up with an antitrust law that said theaters That's right. cannot yep. be owned by studios. Yep. And just the other day, that finally has been repealed. So as of now, theaters can be owned by studios once again. Because back in the day, oh boy, there was an exclusivity issue. You'd only yes. get Paramount movies shown at this theater. You'd only That's why there are theaters called Paramount It's a Paramount real theater. problem. Yeah, that was a real problem early on. And that's why they created that, that antitrust law to allow for more widespread release. But look at what's happening now. You've already got all these different streaming platforms. You know, Netflix is its own thing. Um, but and they're trying to get into the theater business and create original content. But like we said, you have uh, you have CBS All Access, which is owned by Paramount, and they're going to retool everything, and it's probably not going to be called CBS All Access for long. Um, but that's all Paramount. 
So Paramount movies, not that you can't see them on other streaming services, but they have to pay to get them to air on those streaming services because they don't own the rights. Paramount won't need to pay to show Paramount movies on Paramount screens, on Paramount streamers, and so on and so forth. So you're going to start to see a divide and conquer. So if I want to do this, yeah, but we don't own any theaters in this particular market. We want this show to have a good showing. We want it to be on this screen for whatever. Sure, why don't you show it over here, but we'll charge you a huge amount while we're not charging that amount for this theater because we own this this show and so on and so forth. So there's a disparagence. I could see this as being a good thing, but clearly you could see, oh, because this, this has happened before, where you could see problems where we're going to run into bad things and you call it corruption if you want. And you'll see a need for antitrust to come back in. And whether that's theaters or whether it's streaming, you could see it happening. The theaters get hurt by that. The consumers get hurt by that. When you are making it an exclusive kind of thing as far as being able to watch that, that content, which used to be pretty accessible you know if you could spread it out across many theaters if you're narrowing the focus into we're only releasing into our theaters well then your theater has to be in certain locations for people to be able to to watch and and then it's going to be at an elevated price i would imagine too and that in both cases that hurts the consumer big time because you don't have that widespread opportunity to be able to watch like for us in a in a pretty rural location, I mean that's an especially concerning development. If you want to see this operating in current day USA in real time, if you're a sports fan, then you know what's going on with all the networks and Dish versus DirecTV. Oh yeah, yep. you can't get say Fox Sports North on Dish right now because FSN is saying, well, we're going to charge you a whole lot of money to make this happen. But, you know, DirecTV's got a partnership. they got a sweeter deal. They're not paying that kind of money. And Dish is saying, we're not paying that kind of money to get this content. Well, then you don't need to have our network on your show. And now subscribers are dropping Dish that want to have a lot of sports because you can't get those on Dish, right? So you can see how it's happening. Right. So it's already happening. Now imagine it on a theatrical scale and a much more wide-ranging scale. So Universal bought this one, and Paramount bought this one, and Warner Brothers bought this one. So if you want to see particular movies, I was just talking about the movie Greyhound, Tom Hanks, that World War II battleship movie that was going to be coming out theatrically, but it isn't, and now it's exclusive to Apple TV, which means unless you have Apple TV, you're not watching this show. You know, if you didn't have Netflix, you're not watching Stranger Things. So I don't like exclusivity. I want it out there. Now, granted, you can watch the first two, I don't think the third one is out yet, three seasons of uh, Stranger Things. You can get it on DVD, sure, but you're not going to stream it anywhere except Netflix. Now, granted, Netflix, it was their show. They didn't just buy the show. They made the show. Correct. So that makes sense. But could they rent it out to Hulu? Yeah, you could show Stranger Things for you know whatever fee, a nominal fee or whatever like this. And in exchange, if we'd like this show on Netflix for a nominal fee, or we'll just swap, make a deal, whatever it is. Wouldn't it be nice if that kind of thing existed, especially for people who have Hulu but, but don't have Netflix? Yeah, but it doesn't. It's all about the money. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of current event stuff. That's good to note. Yeah, that that's good to bring up. I haven't quite been aware of that the gears have been turning to that extent of thinking about, hey, this is not only going to be a temporary thing, this might be a new norm. That's Just, that's concerning. We won't go down the rabbit hole anymore, but if you want to do your homework and further reading, go onto the Google machine, the Googles, get onto the internet tubes, and type in AMC Universal, 
and see where that takes you. Yeah. You know what we're talking about, but I won't go into it, but that's you'll Good find out more details. And that's just the start. So yeah. we'll see. Yeah, it's gonna I feel be, like we've been saying that a lot here the last few months. You know, this is something that in some cases has been coming for a while. The pandemic has just drop kicked it in the butt. Um, I don't think theaters are going to go away, especially when you start getting theaters being owned by studios now. Now they've got reasons to put movies on the big screen. It'll just be their movies on their screens. And you're going to see, I would think, a lot of smaller you know, theater chains and regional mom and pop owners selling out of the business. And Universal will sweep them up and, and go from there. And we'll see what happens. So if you want to go to McMovies, you know. I feel like you're losing something that's part of the fabric of movie I think going. So. If you have those go away, though, that that really concerns me. It that can, that concerns me a lot. This could be a good thing, but if history has shown us anything, when money talks, it's not going to be a good thing because they're going to try lose to squeeze something. Oh yeah, yeah. They're, something's going to go sideways out of the name of greed. And what could be good, you could do it great. But that might mean it's going to cost a little money to do it great. But yeah, let's let's save and let's just do it this way anyway. We'll save money. We'll make more money for ourselves. And then, so we'll see. Yeah. All right, Dave, you had a good topic for today. You yeah. brought it up to me yesterday. Um, it was your turn to, to pick one out for, for the show. And you thought of this kind of off the cuff a little bit. But it's it's something that kind of goes beyond the screen today we're yeah. we're going a little bit beyond and it's going to be it's going to be pretty fun getting into this a little bit who how come you and i spend every other tuesday morning sitting here now in opposite rooms looking at each other down a hallway talking about movies why do we do this to ourselves because we enjoy the movie uh, experience yes we love movies yeah it's such a love but it's like you and I, our normal day jobs we work on radio so what what what, what do we do exactly we exist in the airwaves you could be out driving in your car with the radio off, but there's still something being transmitted through the air that you can't see, you can't touch, can't taste, but it's there. And if you have a special thing, you can tune us in, or if you have enough braces, you can tune us in on your skull. But it's it's something intangible. I never thought about it that way. It's something intangible that it permeates everything. Movies are things that we love, but if it's not being projected on a screen in front of you or you don't have the disc or you're not downloading it right or you haven't turned to the right channel or whatever, they still exist, but how do you touch and taste and smell and hug a movie that you love so much? It's an intangible. So what is a movie lover to do, and I do mean movie lover to do, with something that they love so true that is intangible? There's got to be tangible qualities to something that is otherwise intangible that doesn't exist necessarily in the physical realm, and in these days, even less so. Back in the day, I would fall in love with the box art on the VHS tape and look at the back and look yeah. at the stills from the picture and look at the movie and study the movie poster when it used to be a really cool movie poster. Now they're all Photoshopped, you know, and they're really, somebody slaps it together over a weekend and it's just kind of, okay, done, next one, it's a factory, rather than art. You know, go look at the Jaws poster. Because go. they used to be illustrated. Oh, yeah. yeah. They were paintings. They were works That's of right. art. They were spectacular. You still see versions of them even in meme form or spoof form. Go find a movie poster from the last 10 years. Let's just be you know generous. You're not going to see them spoof because they're so forgettable so fast. They're going to come, they're going to go, and they're gone. But the classics, there's a reason that they're classics. The tangible intangibles. With almost wrote its own title for the episode too. Really did, yeah, it really did. Yeah, I 
I know exactly what you're talking about because my apartment and your basement, I think, are prime the examples. Dave cave. Yes, the Dave Cave. They they are prime examples of this very thing that you are talking about because you and I, you and I have an appreciation for memorabilia a little bit, or or things related to memorabilia. Um, in my apartment, here are a couple of examples. I have in front of my TV. I have a couple of Hot Wheels cars that sit there. I have three James Bond cars that are there. I have one of Paul Walker's cars from the Fast and Furious movies. And I have the Batmobile. They're all sitting there in front of it. Which Batmobile? Uh, the newer one. The Tumbler? The Tumbler, okay. yep. I also have uh, sitting there, I have two poker chips that are both Casino Royale poker <laughs> chips from a special Casino Royale set of card deck of cards that I got like this this double pack of cards that I got that are Casino Royale style cards from from the James Bond movie. Now careful if you try to cash those in if you saw Skyfall they're going to try to kill you with an iguana. Right, exactly. I'm I'm going to try to avoid that. Yeah, thankfully it's not that chip that I have. I also have and my a friend of mine just gave this to me the other day. I now have an Inception top that I have sitting there as well. Is it eternally spinning? It does not eternally spin. <laughs> I have tried, although I was glad it wasn't eternally spinning because it means I'm not dreaming. Oh, So that was a good thing. Um, so I have an Inception top that sits there now. I I have a couple of different pictures or, or posters that I have. Some of those um, IMAX posters, like the smaller ones that they've done over the last few years, that was kind of a trendier thing, I think, even 10 years ago. But I have an Interstellar one. Speaking of art, I mean, it's it's this really neat artistic rendering of Gargantua as well as the, which was the black hole, as well as the the ship that they traveled in and then a planet as well. Great artistic rendering of that. I have another one of, of James Bond from Skyfall, um, which I went to see at midnight back when they gave out, if you go at midnight in IMAX, you get a poster for it. So I've got one from that. Um, was I've, it that one or was it Casino Royale you went in your tuxedo with your buddies? That was Skyfall. Skyfall, yep. okay. It was, it was worth it, too. That was, that was great. Yeah, something resembling a tuxedo for me. I don't, I don't quite have You had the tuxedo shot. t-shirt, didn't you? It, not a tuxedo yeah. t-shirt. It was a suit and tie, <laughs> but it, it wasn't quite tuxedo suit. Oh, okay. So, but the general idea. Um, I've, got a, I've got a Steve McQueen Faye Dunaway picture from the Thomas Crown Affair that, that sits in my apartment. I have a, a picture from... The Mission Impossible TV series of the original crew helmed by, uh, well, the almost original crew helmed by Peter Graves. Um, I've got that that whole crew um, sitting in, in my apartment. And I have rolled up several movie posters that I've collected over the years um, that I'm going to hopefully someday hang up in a larger place. But I have one poster that I've permitted to hang right now, and it's my Lawrence of Arabia poster that nice. I have since that's my, my favorite movie. But in essence, it's... Just little bits of film lore hanging around my apartment. And then an Ocean's 13 poster of uh, George Clooney, Brad Pitt, and Matt Damon sitting at the airport at the end of that movie. So, But you, your basement is a prime example of what that looks like, isn't it? Yeah, to a point. And sports, too. But it's, you know, sports is something tangible. You can catch a home run ball or foul ball or yes. whatever. But movies are different. And like Hoove is talking about, if I was going to go down the run of every little teensy-weensy thing I've got from movies, that would be the entire podcast, and people would be falling asleep like Ted Stryker telling stories on the airplane, the movie airplane. You know, <laughs> yeah, I'm, right. I'm not going to go that route. 
But yeah, I've got a lot of things, whether it's just something I printed out or something point, I got. Point or, out like two or three, though, really quick, because I, I think it's worth it with how many cool things you've got around your basement. I've got, uh, since I'm a big Back to the Future fan, I found online somewhere a few years ago a DeLorean model that actually the wheels can fold up for flying mode if you want it to. And I like that one, and it comes on a clear plastic base, so it can look like it's hovering if I yes. wanted to. So that's one that I like. My kiddo likes it, and I won't let him touch it, because I know as soon as he does, it's going to be gone. Um, another one that I did, I actually built it. I found plans on the internet. It's mostly balsa wood, was for Ghostbusters, the Proton Pack. And I had to buy it, what's called a Kelly Pack, which is, which is the, the basis of a lot of backpacks you'll find in the military. And then the rest of it is literally balsa wood. And you can find plans to do this stuff on the internet. And I have a friend that does electronics. And he's like, what are you doing? I said, building a protein. Is it going to have lights? No, I'm not going to do Oh, you got to do the lights. I said, well, I can't. I'm not, I don't know how to do it. He said, well, I'll do it. So he put in the lights. And then we fill the whole thing with foam because it's balsa, balsa wood. You need to make it structurally sound. But it works. And so it, if I flip certain switches, it'll light up and it does its things. And it's actually got blinking parts and things that looks a lot like, especially from a 10-foot plus away, looks like just like the ones on the movie. You wore this for Halloween one year yeah. coming in here to work. And I was so impressed yeah. with how good that looked. Yeah, yeah, and it's just the plans were on the internet. And it was, it was simple. It probably cost me... I don't know, hundred dollars to build it, maybe two hundred dollars with the with the jumpsuit and everything, um, and the patches. But I mean, if I'm walking around with it, I built goggles and a trap too. Um, looks like it's pretty much right off the screen, and up close you can scrutinize it. Like, oh, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, so what? But it doesn't matter. It's kind of becoming and looking very much like a Ghostbuster. And when you go to places, if you go to costume places on Halloween or so, people want to touch. And it's balsa wood. It's not going to take a lot of touch before right. it's broken. And then no one's having a good night. Sorry, man. You know. Exactly. And so you've got to be wary, but it's it's fun to give other people that thrill. That reminds me of my dream of one day being able to craft one of the Daft Punk helmets and be able to wear that. <laughs> so, you know, there's all kinds of ways that you can reach out and touch Hollywood. But uh, there's also other ways, like have you ever gone to a filming location, you know, a movie that you've seen well. I'll give you an example. There's many movies that have filmed in Times Square, New York, for example. But you see Times Square all the time, every morning on Good Morning America. That's where they film it, or MTV, or whatever else. You've seen Times Square a million times, and it looks very different over the years. But when you actually go to New York City and you find yourself standing in front of Times Square, or you go to the White House and you're standing in front of you've seen that many, many times in many places. It's surreal. It's almost like it's a movie set, except it's it's really there. Well, is it is it really there? It's surreal. Or if you go to Planet Hollywood, yep. or if you go to Hard Rock Cafe or something, but especially Planet Hollywood. Are you, there still Planet Hollywoods anymore? I it's like two, I think. I think you might be right. Yeah, I know they trimmed them down. I had been to. I, I'm pretty sure I've been to a Planet Hollywood and a Hard Rock Cafe. But yeah, Planet Hollywood, you would go in there. It's like, oh my gosh, I just stepped onto a movie set with yeah. all the stuff that's hanging around there. I once saw Spock's ears, like <laughs> from one of the films. It was great. Yeah, I remember. I went to. I want. I might get this wrong because I'm trying to remember this off the top of my head. But it was a Planet Hollywood. Could have been a Hard Rock, and it was over the bar in. It was either Hawaii or Florida, one of the two. It was one of the DeLoreans from uh, Back to the Future, upside down, 
And it was in really rough shape. And I read later that that was one of them that got hit by the train. Because there wasn't one DeLorean they used for the filming. Just long story short, there were nine DeLoreans they used for the various different movies for various different reasons. And one of them was the one that got hit by the train. Well, evidently, after it got hit by the train, they kind of put it back together. They didn't put all the time machine parts on it. It was basically just the car well dented up. Because it got hit by a train for real. And it was mounted upside down over the bar or whatever. So there's only like, I think, two or three DeLoreans from the movie that are still in existence that are known to exist. A lot of replicas that you can rent and so forth. But even if it was a replica car that wasn't used in the movie still, because some of the ones that were actually used have fallen into various states of disrepair and some of them have been restored and some of them are not known to exist, at least not what I can find on the internet. So, you know, like the shark from Jaws. Right. But one of the things they're opening up in uh, L.A., and it may officially already be open, they talked about it during the Oscars, I think it was supposed to open this coming fall, and maybe it's going to be delayed, is that museum for the National Motion Picture Association, or whatever they're calling it, and there's all kinds of memorabilia that'll be there more or less permanently and then moved out for other things to come in. And That's right. You know, one of the, well, not really the shark from Jaws, because none of those really exist, but one that was made from one of the molds is going to be there, which if you ever went to Universal Studios prior to the 1990s, I've been with this thing. I have a picture of me with it. You know, it used to be hanging upside down by the ride, and it was made in the same mold. They made the molds for the shark and Jaws. The actual sharks from Jaws that you see on screen have been rotted and they're gone. They're just they're just gone. But this one was made of fiberglass and it existed. They found it in a junkyard and that's where the thing was. And they restored it. It's the shark from Jaws, but not really. It wasn't really seen on screen, but it's as close as you're going to get. So, so there's that. So something intangible, you know, that thing scared the heck out of me. Could I see it and touch it? Maybe. If you let you touch it, probably yeah. not, but yeah. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theaters. We're talking about some of the, our favorite tangible things representing the intangibles of movies that, that are so appealing, including memorabilia. But a slightly different direction, Dave. Are you a guy who likes doing collector's editions of movies, who will not just go and pick up a movie at a, a $5 movie bin, although maybe you still enjoy doing that, but for some of your ones that you really especially like, are you somebody who likes to get a collector's edition of a movie that's maybe just a little bit different in terms of the art or the special features or even some of the goodies that come with it. If it's special to me, yes. I have probably no less, and I've let all my VHS versions go because what's VHS anymore? And people could say the same thing about DVD, but I have a different philosophy on that, and we've talked about that before. I think I've got no less than three different versions of Back to the Future I think I've got four different versions of Star Trek II, that one in specific, um, and for various different reasons. And yeah, but I mean, every if it's if it's something special to me, I very well might. If it's not, then no. Yeah. But I also might get to the point where sometimes things get released and then re-released and re-re-released. Oh, yes, but this one's got, come on, you're just trying to sell another one, and I'm not into that. But what some of them are made and crafted with love, clearly. And there's things apart about it. And this thing was involved in this one. Finally, the guy broke down to do the commentary and he's on it finally for the first time talking. Yes, I might go get those. And that might be my sixth version of the whatever. But um, in general, you get to a point where what else new really is going to come out? I've got it. You know, well, it's a new edition. No, it's not. It's yeah. just another way to sell. You know, and some of those have come out and I've not bought them. And others that are worthwhile buying, I will buy. And that's kind of what it breaks down to. If it's worthwhile, 
and it's special to me, yes, I will. That's why I was willing to pony up the money for the Lawrence of Arabia 50th You guys are so close. Why don't you just call him Larry? You have that kind of relationship. <laughs> That's my Larry on the wall. Isn't I don't know Lawrence? if anybody called him La- Larry. Might least, be Lawrence to you, but when you've known him as long as I have... That's a joke, son. At least in the movie, it was Arantz, (laughs) if they were close to him. So, yeah, I don't know about Larry, but... It would be less than theatrical if all of a sudden, Hey, Larry, Larry, you know, (laughs) Lawrence, come and gaze upon what I have. In that voice, too, Larry, yeah, just that that nasally (laughs) kind of voice would... Yeah, that would take away a lot of credibility, Real life is usually a lot less theatrical than Hollywood. But I've got a box set that... It kind of reflects that. It's a 50th anniversary one, very artistic rendering. You you slide out the contents of it, and you discover that this artistic rendering that's on the front of the box is actually a book, and it's a very pictorial book of images from filming, images from the film. Oh, my gosh. It's, it's like you're seeing it on the big screen again, just these incredibly glossy, really nice photos that they took some really neat insights alongside of them too but they try to let the pictures do the talking and provide a little bit of commentary within of course you've got special features on special features they included the soundtrack too, a disc of the soundtrack as well which Mm. was great because the music of that movie is incredible but they also added a, a a small film cell from the the original film strip of it as well too and it had a really good image of Lawrence on there um, sitting in a room during one of the scenes and he's he's in all of his Arabian garb as well and that was another neat little piece that they added in that, that made it a little bit extra worthwhile having this collector's item of, of something like that I kind of did something similar with Interstellar I have a special I got a special edition of of that movie, and they had a little booklet that came with it too, kind of a making of booklet, but also this this different casing for the um, for the the Blu-ray and DVD and all of that 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 folds out in a certain way and it's magnetic. Then when it closes, oh. but it's all very image based on the outside of it. It's it's all a lot of pictorial based stuff on the outside of it too. So very neat, just extra little stuff that made it a little bit of a step up as far as like a an item to collect. And that's and that's exactly what it is. It's something tangible. Uh for something that is otherwise intangible. Even holding onto the box, even holding onto a cell of the movie which is wow, this is where the movie came from. That's you know? right. That's or a piece of whatever. You know, here's a little cut off the guy's shirt that he wore, you know, wow, it's a tiny one inch square, but he wore this on somewhere this square is on the screen on that guy from one of the shirts he wore. You know, and that's what I'm what you mean. Sometimes it's locations. You ever gone to well, first of all, interesting thing, you may have noticed over the various podcasts, Hoove has a bit of an accent for us Minnesota folks, because you're not a Minnesotan. Where are you from? I'm from Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, that area. Which is not too far from from Pennsylvania, I was going to say. Philadelphia is not right outside, but it's not ridiculously far. That's probably the biggest town closest to you. An hour to the west of Philadelphia. Yeah, Lancaster City is the closest to me as as far as a larger city. That's tens of thousands. I, I can't. I can't for certain say how many, but tens of thousands. It's larger than Bemidji um, by by a bit, um, but it's yeah, it's a larger city, and then um, a lot of 
suburban area around, but a lot of, a lot of farmland, and of, that's what's leading into Amish. what you're about to say. A yes. lot of Amish. No, I'll let you say it. A lot of Amish country, because that's got a film connection directly. It does, yeah. I'm sure many people know of the movie Witness, which has Harrison Ford in it. Yes. Kelly McGillis and Danny Glover, and yeah. Yep. Witness was filmed in Lancaster County and filmed, yeah, right there in, in the heart of Amish country. You know, I we... We had this uh, corn maze that I worked at back home. Uh, the first year that I worked there, um, they were doing an anniversary celebration of Witness for the corn so maze. They did theme. a Witness themed corn maze. They did. It was Get Lost in Witness, and in fact, they had <laughs> they had this uh, they had John Book's car. They brought in his car from the movie, and well, Harrison Ford was John Book in the movie. They had his car. And we put it in the corn maze, and people could get their photo taken there as they were cool. traveling around. Yeah, really neat. Um, so we, we talked about some of the places where they filmed as well. I mean, places that I grew up around. You know, I I know of one of the towns that they that they shoot one of the scenes in. It's right down the street from where some of my friends lived. You know, they they filmed some. Of the, I think the fight that he had in the town. They filmed that right down the street from my friend's house. Okay. Uh, right, right in this one town there. Um, and they pretended that it was Lancaster, and but in fact it was a different town. So they needed something smaller. Movie magic, yeah. Yep. So yeah. So you've got all of those things going on, and all within an, an area that I know very well growing up. But you, Dave, you have had uh, quite a few close encounters with uh, of the filming kind that that you've gone through. You know, Minnesota back in the first half of the 90s in particular became a hotbed for a lot of films that were made for whatever reason yeah. well the, there's a long story you know you can get the film board for each state can become friendly with tax credits and so forth and so on and for a while minnesota became a very attractive place for hollywood to film and uh obviously if you live around new york or la there's a lot of filming that goes on there because that's where a lot of filming happens so pretty much every street corner in la is a place but you go to other places whether it's Lancaster or Minnesota you start running into maybe a few locations and movies from the 90s in particular started showing up both grumpy old men movies were filmed down in Wabasha which is in southeastern Minnesota uh, I've driven through there it's near Red Wing kind of by Rochester a little bit you know it's close-ish uh, south of the Twin Cities um, the Mighty Ducks movies and I was at the time just kind of getting out of playing hockey but I knew a lot of guys that were involved in, in, in doing the filming of the movie. I've talked about Jingle All the Way which was filmed on my street. Uh, the, the neighborhood where Phil Hartman and Arnold Schwarzenegger lived in was my street. And so I lived two doors down from Arnold Schwarzenegger. Every I moved time away I watch, to go to college, and they filmed the Hollywood came to my house. Every time I watch that movie now, it is surreal to see that neighborhood and go, this is where Dave Brooks grew up. Yeah, it's a true story. We came down for a weekend to watch him film it. I won't repeat the story because I've already done it on the podcast, but I'll tell you another one. Um, a lot of people could show up as extras. You the little big league, for example, they filmed that at the old Metrodome for the twins and you could show up and be an extra in the stands. And yes, that happened. Um, I actually got to read for a part once. It was not a good movie and it wasn't no, most people don't really know about it. It came out for half a second. It was gone. Keanu Reeves and, uh, Cameron Diaz and Vincent Donfrio called feeling Minnesota. It's not, a, it's a really dark comedy. It's and not it was, that great. Wasn't it early on for all of them too? Yeah, well, not Keanu Reeves. He'd been a, he'd been around obviously for a he while. He had but okay. Cameron Diaz. It might have been one of her earliest roles. Um, and Vincent Donfrio, he was working his way up. He'd been around for a little while too. But uh, a friend of mine looked. We thought they were looking for a younger version of a Keanu Reeves, and 
my friend, I thought, looked enough like Keanu Reeves. So we thought, let's go. They did a casting call at the Southdale Mall, which is in Edina. And uh, while we were there, one of the casting people talked to me and said, well, there's another guy that plays Keanu's brother. You kind of look, you have a similar look and build to him. Would you like to read for, I was like, all right. So I read for a Vincent D'Onfrio role, actually. Didn't get it, obviously. I did see the movie. The scene that this would have been was cut out of the movie. They had some flashback scenes that were just real quick. Um, and they went much younger than my friend and I anyway. But there was that. But the other one that was probably the biggest one that I got to cross was the movie Fargo. And uh, we're talking about the Coen brothers who are from St. Louis Park, which is you know suburb of the south part of the Minneapolis area. And this was one of their early year movies. They had done a few. They had done some movies. Barton it sure Fink. put them on the map, though. But it really did. It kind of put them on the map. But one of the points I'll bring up is before I got into radio and broadcasting, I actually thought about getting into a career in law enforcement. That's its own story. So I was spending some time in working and learning some of the ropes as a high school student at the Edina Police Department. Now, the building since has been torn down, and it's, it's not there anymore. But at the time, City Hall was on the upstairs, and the police department was on the downstairs. And they one day I show up, and there's all this cotton on the, on the ground everywhere and these Brainerd police cars. I'm like, what the heck is going on here? They're filming the movie, and they filmed it as the Brainerd Police Department. So the Brainerd Police Department in the movie is actually Edina's old police building. And... Um, I show up and they're like, what's going on? Oh, they're filming a movie here. Some guys from St. Louis Park. You're like, oh, this is some like student film or something. Because you didn't really know who the Coen brothers were at that point necessarily. And there were some people that it's a working police station. We don't want, you know, the uniforms that people there had to wear versus what they wear in the movie looked very different. And so some people that they had to work near where they were filming, would you mind putting on these shirts just in case you're in the background? Just, you know, so if you do get on camera, look like you're doing something and don't look at the camera. And I was one of those people. You could see my elbow. Yes. I, I think you could see my elbow. I know where I was and when I was there and what was going on in the <laughs> other room. But you can point to it in the movie and I say, I'm pretty certain There's a guy that walks me. by to a filing cabinet outside the door and you can see a little elbow. And I think that was my elbow, but they did the scene 15 times. So I don't know. It's a good, it's a good guess. But they were filming a scene. The guy's office was actually the conference room. And uh, they did it that way. Uh, you will see me in the background in Mall Rats, which they filmed at the Eden Prairie Mall. And I'm out of focus, but in the scene where where Jason Lee and uh, and uh, Stan Lee are talking on this, they had a whole bunch of catwalks there. And one of the way back catwalks, I'm one of the blurs moving in the background, and that was it. So you're not going to see my face. You're not going to maybe my elbow, and I can't confirm for sure that that was my elbow because there were a few other elbows walking around that day. Um, but you know, to be there and to see it and to watch it and to um, meet Phil Hartman and share an egg roll with him. And I mean, that's almost surreal in a way, especially <laughs> when he comes over because he liked the look of the egg rolls and he's doing Troy McClure voices. And I still have a picture somewhere. It's in a bin. I've got to pull it out. Uh, when I get determined, to, I'm going to find this picture. I have a picture of Phil Hartman and myself and some friends sitting on my driveway. He posed for us. Nice, really nice guy. Really I would have asked him to do Lionel Hutz. Over, he was over doing Troy Simpson McClure, voices. <laughs> Clinton was president, so he's doing Bill Clinton voices. You know, he was a really cool guy. Dave, I think that egg roll is very good, and I appreciate that you were willing to loan it to me. <laughs> so those are my stories. I'm, I don't want to go on too down. I could go well, way down the rabbit hole, but I'll leave it at that. You know, I like those stories, and the one that I had about witness it kind of applies too, because if you're in a larger city 
that like New York City, like Los Angeles, even some other cities, you're going to run into automatic opportunities to go to places where a, a, a film has been made, where, where there's been shooting done. Um, even in Philadelphia, you can go to the art museum and right there you are walking up Rocky. movie history by going up the, the steps and running up the steps like everybody does. You can go to have you run up the, the Rocky steps. statue multiple times. <laughs> I have multiple times. When I lived there in the city, I had to. I mean, everybody does it. You, uh, It got to the point where I would go there and I wanted to go to the museum and see that. Uh, I mean, the the rest of the charm of it changed a little bit over time as far as I've done this. It's been done. A lot of people do it. But with our experiences, it's cool because they go a little bit off the beaten trail. Even in other cities, take like Pike's Place in in Seattle. If you've been to the Pike's Place market, if a film has been made in Seattle, there's a good chance there's been some shooting done in Pike's Place at some point um, with either some fish getting tossed or even just being there. You know, Sleepless in Seattle. Yeah, they're just, they're there. They're there at Pike's Place. You know, so... You go into some of those city places, it's it's easy for that to happen. You wouldn't think of that quite as often in a place like Minnesota or even the surrounding suburban areas of Minnesota. You wouldn't think about that in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Not as frequent as far as films being done in those places. So it makes that tangible experience even a little bit extra different. But for people who maybe are from a rural area who visit a city, then it suddenly becomes a, hey, I just passed that location hey i just went by that location i remember that from a movie or even it's cool too if you go into some of the some of the places that are out of the city center areas or the ones that maybe are a little bit more commonly filmed like in creed what i liked about creed was hey they went to some of the the back streets of philadelphia a little bit places that i recognized like Hey, I know about that area where they were there, but that's not the area you'd think of of being in a movie. Oh yeah, you'd be amazed, but it's even, you know, TV shots too. Whether people are from the area and they hold it as something cool and special, or you're not from the area, you're coming here for a business trip for whatever reason and hey, while we're here, you know they filmed Mary Tyler Moore. Uh, they didn't. They filmed it in California, but when they would do the opening shots, they must have spent a weekend here filming scenes where she's walking down the Nicolette Mall. Like there's the, the office in Scranton. She, yeah. yeah, there's the house that she lived in, which is on one of the lakes down there, Lake Harriet, I think it is. And it's just shot for exteriors. They didn't film it yeah. there, you know. But people still get a thrill out of it. You can still find the Mary Tyler Moore statue. They re, they're kind of tearing up where they had the statue where they filmed her throwing the hat up. And they're kind of tearing that area up right now, so the, the statue's been relocated. I would assume at, at some point it'll move back when they're done tearing things up. But um, people really get a kick out of that. And you'll, every so often, if I'm going to a Twins game and I'm on the light rail, which will go right by it, you'll see somebody chuck a hat up into the sky. Because that's, you know, if you know the Mary Tyler Moore show, then you know what we're referring to. But if you were in, in such love with the show, would you ever go so far to go out of your way to look for actively? And if you go to YouTube, you'll find people that do this, that will go to specific locations where things have been filmed. Um, and in some cases, I would love to, if I ever go back to L.A. for any reason, I've been there once, and I went on to the Universal tour just bef- just after they had filmed Back to the Future. And this keeps coming up with me because I'm a huge fan. They had just filmed it, but I hadn't seen it yet. And we went into the town square where the clock tower was. And they had probably oh, just finished great. filming. We went in, uh, maybe the movie had just come out, but I hadn't seen it yet. It was like 1985 or 86. My sister graduated from high school out there, and we went out there for her graduation. 
and we went and took the tour. Met Jaws, you know, scared the heck out of me, and then went to the Clock Tower set, but it didn't mean anything to me then because I didn't see the movie. So now I'm kicking my, here's the car from the movie. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dumb me. You know, I didn't know. I hadn't seen it yet. Right. I've been there. But you can look back now and go, hey, I wasn't all that awestruck. It Not was good just, enough. hey, I, you appreciated enough. it. Got to go back. You saw it. Uh, well, now you want to go back and appreciate it a little bit more. And a right? lot of it's changed, though, too. I mean, they keep changing sets. They just don't yeah. look the same because they, you know, the clock tower is still there. It's the same building, but between fires on the back lot, which have damaged some of those sets or destroyed them entirely. Um, it's been changed for this show or that movie and whatever. Um, it's most iconic from that, but you'll see the clock tower in a lot of different things. This is one of the opening shots of gremlins just before they filmed back to the future with all the winter snow. Um, I mentioned one of my favorite movies the other night sneakers. It shows up real quick. Uh, it was in, um, the ghost whisperer with Jennifer Love Hewitt. That was like the town square that they shot in. It really? was in to kill a mockingbird. It's been wow. around forever and it just uh-huh. looks very different all the time. So if you were to walk onto that set right now, it doesn't look like it did in the movie because it's changed 20 times, you know, but it's the same spot. Here's a different question to go off of the tangible. Does that lend a little bit of perspective to you if you go to like a film set like that and all of a sudden this movie and, and being transported into the world of the movie has now all of a sudden changed for you now that you've seen the set because... I know sometimes when I'm watching a movie with people or even when I'm seeing when I'm reading reviews from people they're like oh you can clearly see that they shot that in Iceland or you can clearly see that if it's like another planet or you can clearly see that they shot that at this location I'm like stop just enjoy it a little yeah. bit but then there are people who maybe almost get too caught up in it and they need that reality check a little bit of Hey, this is this is where it was filmed, you know. I like to try to find a middle ground where you don't get too entranced by the movie a little bit to the point where you lose your sense of reality, but to where you also are not so cynical of it was filmed here. It was filmed there and it's a planet and you're thinking of it as a planet to where that takes away from my experience watching it. I mean, do you kind of understand where I'm going with that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, kind of the overall gist of what we're talking is trying to find something physical to grasp onto for something that is otherwise intangible. You know, Field of Dreams, great movie. When they built that cornfield, they really built the cornfield, and they didn't tear it out after filming. It is still in place. It's in a town called Dyersville, Iowa, which is not too far off of Highway 35, which goes right through the Twin Cities. And I would love to, at some point, do the father-son thing and bring my kiddo down there and he actually saw the movie Field of Dreams a couple weekends ago. He thought it was pretty cool, the baseball scenes, all the other stuff. He was like, eh. But he liked the baseball scenes. But all the other parts, There's a. it does not take place in Minnesota, but there's one scene where they go to Chisholm, Minnesota, which is a real town. It's on the Iron Range. And I've been through Chisholm several times. My wife's from the Iron Range. They didn't film it in Chisholm. They filmed it in some other town in, in Iowa because Chisholm doesn't look like that. But uh, but it doesn't matter, you know. So people that I've seen that movie with people from Chisholm, They're like I don't know where this is, but this isn't Chisholm. I lived in Chisholm. This isn't Chisholm. Well, clear, I don't know what town they used in Iowa to stand in as Chisholm, but that's a normal thing, you know. Yeah. Hill Valley doesn't exist. By the way, there's an analogy there. Hill Valley, you, you get it? <laughs> it's kind of a joke. Yep, you can't exist, you know. But that was, you know, around California and the Universal Backlot and other areas. Pasadena is a very popular town that could fill in for, like, any town USA. 
And, and that's just the way of things. There's a big controversy in exactly what city does Springfield for The Simpsons take place in. You know, obviously it's not filmed, it's animated, but there isn't, they are always really kind of, you know, particular to make sure that no real Springfield that exists in the U.S. Yep. is heavily favored over another one because it could be any of them. Correct. Now, that did make me think of one possible instance where a town was used. Didn't they use the actual Bodega Bay in California in the birds? I think yes. That's what I was just thinking of an example that kind of goes to the contrary, and I think that one was one. Yeah. Well, they've obviously shot you know real for real, where that maybe if it's a historical based movie, um, in some cases they don't like the the D Day scene from Normandy from Saving Private Ryan. That wasn't the coast of France they filmed. It was actually Ireland where they filmed that scene. Right. But, you know, it's a cliffside on the edge of the ocean. If you really were a historical buff, all oh, the geography, the topography is all wrong, then you're going to know. But in other cases, yes, obviously pretty, pretty obvious things like Statue of Liberty. You're generally not going to fake that unless it's CGI. Like Hoover X-Men. Dam, which I've been to. Sure, Hoover Many Dam. Many movies there. But yeah. there are some instances like um, uh, there, was a, there was a movie called Valkyrie about how a lot of German officers tried to overthrow the Nazis. Yep. Well, there's a couple of things. For one, you can't fly the swastika in Germany. You know, You need special permits for that because they're trying to get away from that. But at the end of the movie, spoiler alert, obviously it didn't work and they didn't overthrow Hitler. And those that were in charge of this conspiracy were all lined up on a wall and shot. They actually shot that scene where they were shot on the wall at the actual wall where they were shot. And there's a plaque that is there. They had to kind of cover up the plaque because you don't want a plaque showing how these people that are being shot on the movie were, were shot, you know? Right. But it's it was they had to get permission. They all took a moment before they shot it to kind of honor the memory of what those had done. So there are instances where it's not a set, it's not fake, it's real, and it's as real as the actual event was. So there are examples of that where it's as real as real can be. Something that's pretty cool that I think is starting to become a little bit more en vogue again, getting away from CGI, which we've talked about in the past, is doing a little bit more filming in the actual locations or going on location to do I love that to do that. Yeah, I think it's great because it does it does bring that intangible piece into the tangible that much more. And when you see the authentic locations, you you you're not seeing like back in back in the the older times, forties, fifties, sixties, you got the you have the green screen effect even then of, of the way that they would use that with locations. But there's something different about actually being on location and knowing that they are on location. They're not just they're not just putting it on either. That, oh, I agree. That has a great bit of appeal to it. And you'd be amazed at what you mean by location. It's a wall. It's a building. It's a bush. In some cases, there were some hardcore Star Wars fans that wanted to go visit the planet Hoth, which is the ice planet from Empire Strikes Back. They right. filmed those scenes in Norway and a couple on sound stages too. But, I mean, what are you looking for? You're looking for a tundra, literally a tundra. But they would take still shots from the movie, and they realized in some cases there was a huge blizzard that came through Norway as they were filming it back in 79. They literally had Mark Hamill run out the door of the hotel that they couldn't get out of, and so now he's just in his costume wandering out in the snowdrifts right outside the hotel, and those shots are in the movie. Perfect. But they're looking at the the angle of the mountain in the background and from the angle, and so they're working it out from still shots, and then they find the exact spot, and they'll take a picture of it today, and they'll superimpose in 
the the Imperial Walkers or the Tauntauns or whatever. What are you looking at? You're looking at a vista landscape of snow and ice and mountains, but that's where they filmed it. Even if they just took a picture and used it for the plate shot, it doesn't matter. It's in the movie. It's there. I'm on Hoth. And that's awesome. And for a lot of people, it's it's a step in. But in a lot of ways, there's almost a hollowness to it. It's like when you go back to your old college, you know, where you had all your friends. You're on the same location. And maybe the college has changed a little bit, but it's not the same time. All your friends are gone. Everyone's graduated. Everyone's gone. It almost feels kind of like a, a house with all the children gone, you know, but you're still living there. The, f- the film was, was made right here. It's awesome, but they're not doing it now. But if it's a horror right. movie, maybe there's a little bit of an energy. Maybe the, the monster's going to come out of the woods. He never, they packed up everything except the monster, and it's real. And you know, There's always that kind of a feeling in the back of your head that something might happen you know, that happened there at one point, you know, good or bad or scary or whatever. Uh, but there's an energy that gets left behind. That's and right. if you know what it is and you can tap into it, you can feel it. So... And, you know, shift, shift, shifting, shifting the gear to one other thing, if it's not a location, maybe it's something else physical. Have you ever met uh, an actor? Because there is no Marty McFly. He doesn't exist, but Michael J. Fox does. He does. But yes. when you meet Michael J. Fox, are you meeting Marty McFly? Or, no, no, Alex P. Keaton. Or, no, 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 you're meeting, you know, it's, but it's as close to meeting Marty McFly as you're ever going to get. You understand the difference between an actor and a character. You get it. However... It is also a conduit to as close as you're ever going to get to meeting Marty McFly. As far as meeting a major film star, I don't think I ever have, at least not off the top of my head. I can't think of any. Um, I like to think that if I had an experience like that, it would probably stand out a little bit more. But um, no, I I can't really think of one off the top of my head that that I've had as as far as that. I mean, you talked about Phil Hartman and and getting to meet him. I mean, you shared an egg roll with him. So he was, well, I didn't share it. He got one for himself. He got one. Okay. But you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, he parked in my driveway every day. I didn't get to shake his hand, but I got to stand two feet from him and say, hi, hi, good to meet you. How are you doing? Yeah. You know, and a couple of his stand-ins got to meet them a little more up up close. Um, But still you're meeting Arnold Schwarzenegger and you're kind of, wow. Um, You know, yeah, I got to meet Rita Wilson. giant of a man right in front of me. Oh yeah. He's, I'm a little taller. Rita Wilson, you got to meet Rita her Wilson. Too. She played his wife in the movie, and she in real life is married to Tom Hanks. Yes, and yep. they had just had a baby at the time, and so the catering truck was on the driveway between our house and the next door neighbor's house, but tucked where you couldn't see it for any of the shots. And when you're when you're doing a movie, there's a lot of continuity issues, so you can't drive in and out of your own driveway. We had to park like a block away and walk in. So there were some things they would allow us to do. If you're hungry and you're running out of food and you can't go to the store and you don't want to truck in all your groceries and carry them up for a block, um, then you can use the catering truck. It's not a problem. you know. And it's right outside my back door. So I went in to grab a thing of peanuts or something, and I recognized her. I was like, hey, how you doing? Nice baby. And, oh, thank you, thank you. And it was Tom Hanks' little baby. Um, so that would have been they filmed it in the spring of 96. So so I got to meet Tom Hanks' little baby. That was cool. Awesome. Yeah. But, you know, things like that, the other tangibles, you know, when you meet those people, you're aware that you're meeting so-and-so. I got to meet Jesse Ventura when he was the governor of Minnesota, but he's also, you know, dot, dot, dot. I was a pro wrestling fan. I got to meet that guy, and I got to meet, he was in a bunch of Schwarzenegger movies, too, and I got to meet that guy, and all in the same shot, so to speak, you know, but you're also meeting the governor. So it's like simultaneous things happening at the same time, and it is kind of neat to realize Yes, I know this is, you know, it's not Lawrence of Arabia, it's Peter O'Toole. 
But it is at the same time in a weird way. Right. But it, it is helpful too. I mean, with all of this, it is helpful as an exercise to distinguish between the the real and what you see in the movies as well. And and drawing that line to allow yourself to be at that point where the movie side of it, the the part that that is fascinating that really captures our imagination to leave that intact, but also to keep the real, the tangible, intact too, and a recognition of of the line between those two things. You know, one of the things that I would love to and don't want to is to meet, uh, uh, I'm not saying the word celebrity, I mean an actor who is embodied. I would love to meet Christopher Lloyd. Like I said, I keep going back to Back to the Future. It's one of my favorite movies. Yes. But he's shown up at so many movies that I love. Uh, I would love to meet him. But there's also, you know, what you read amongst actors, there's sort of a love-hate relationship sometimes with some of those things. Leonard Nimoy in particular with Spock, he wrote a book called I Am Not Spock. You know, he had a love-hate relationship that I, t- I think took him the better part of his life to really come to grips with and get comfortable with, and then it went a lot smoother from there. So sometimes you meet people, and you got to think about it from the celebrity's point of view. They're just regular people like us. I mean, when you, when you really get down Correct. to the nuts and bolts of it, and this is something that maybe you and I can relate to in what we do for our day job working in the radio. It's something where people invite you into their homes. I'm inviting you to join us on the couch tonight while we watch you perform on this movie that I really, really love for the hundredth time. I'm a big fan of Bemidji Lumberjack Sports, so I'm going to invite Hoove into my living room to call the game for me. And I've been at home where I'm listening to the radio and I'm listening to you, but I know you. It's, it's okay. I'm not going to you know, tear your shirt off. Oh, it's something from Hoove. But some people do. And so when you're on our side of the fence and somebody meets you for the first time and they've known you for 20 years, but you don't know who the heck you're talking to, it's a personal relationship that's almost one-sided, but you need to understand what it is to some people. Some people, it's just like, hey, you're pretty cool to listen to. That's awesome. Nice to meet you. You know, that's fine. And other people, it's a little more passionate, you know, and it's something real special. And you got to understand that. And you're like, hey, it's nice to meet you here. Here's something for you. And here's an autographed shirt or whatever. Wow, to them it means so much. And if you take that time, so as much as I'm I'm not trying to put us on a pedestal, I promise I'm not. But if you and I ever have those moments, we have to be cool, we have to be gracious. But at the same time, we look at other people sometimes in the same way that some people might look at us if they have really low standards <laughs> and uh, and go from there. So if I ever got to meet Christopher Lloyd or some other great actors that I or actresses that I really, really like, I, at the same time, would be, but at the same time, you know what I mean? I know the feeling the because tangible. I've seen when people meet athletes, and it's the same way sometimes. You know, even even when Twins Winter Caravan has come through here, oh, yeah. it's interesting to watch how even people you and I know kind of get around. Like you watching me. Yeah, how they kind of get around these these athletes, you know, they're clamoring for an autograph. They're clamoring for, hey, what can I get out of this? What, hey, I want to get a photo. Um, I've learned that it's enjoyable just to have conversation with yeah. them and to get to pick their brain for a little bit and just to to talk, you know, just to kind of slow it down for a moment. Like, um, I got to do that with Corey Provis, who's the radio voice for the Minnesota Twins, um, a couple of years ago during a winter caravan. There was a moment before the, the whole show got started when we're in the broom closet yeah where he and i he and i i i introduced myself to him said hello and um we got we just talked broadcaster to broadcaster for a couple of minutes just about how'd you come through the industry how'd you get to this point it kind of reminds me a little bit of what it sounded like 
your experience was with with Phil Hartman a little bit, yeah. where he's he's just enjoying an egg roll, and yeah, he's doing some of his impersonations and stuff from some of his characters, but you're having a conversation. You're, person to person. Yeah, you're just you're taking those tangible opportunities and experiences where you're around the intangible, and yet you're you're going beyond the movie experience and coming back to to real life and to reality a little bit. And, you know, I, I'm sure that's, I'm sure even a memory like that is pretty cool for you, Dave, of just not, not saying, Hey, what can I get out of it? But just being around and having the company of, of somebody in that position, especially, you know, somebody like Phil Hartman who had a very untimely passing yeah. as well, you know, and I'm sure you look back on an experience of getting to, to be around him and in that setting and go, you know, that was great just to, to talk a little bit, you know, they're one of my favorite soccer broadcasters. I once had a chance encounter with him at a game. This is the guy um, that yells "go." No, not 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 him. Um, another guy who I had a chance encounter with in a bathroom. He's putting his makeup on <laughs> as I'm washing my hands. And, I met him in the stall, guys. Yeah, he's like, I bet uh, not not quite in the stall, but he's like, bet you've never seen a man doing his makeup in the bathroom before, like in his English accent. I'm like. Arlo White, is that you? And so he and I just start talking then right there in in this bathroom. And I'm like, like man code against doing that, you know. Well, I, I guess I don't know. I guess it got broken then. But I mean and and I told him, I'm aspiring to be a sportscaster. I, I think the work you do is phenomenal. Do you have a tip or two or just anything like that? And we just had a conversation like that and then past each other at, at halftime I, I went by and he was on a break and I was like, Pretty good game, right, Mr. White? He's like, Oh, it's been fantastic so far. Yeah, I mean just enjoying it rather than, yeah. hey, what can I get out of it? Or all be, just being in awe, remembering that there's that with the tangible, there comes the reality too. But you don't have to totally excuse the the wonder of it all, but keeping the reality in perspective as well keeps the movies in perspective in general too. I think I think sometimes fandom gets so wrapped up in in the the fantasy of it or the imagination of it too much to where you lose sight of the the reality of things and if you can keep that all in perspective it it's it, it's just a better experience and and it it's where you kind of need to be to to make sure that you're keeping life in in larger perspective too i think in a way it's it's like going to the white house or even walking by the white house or times square or statue of liberty or those big iconic golden gate bridge things you see in ways that are way bigger than you that's a faraway land <gasps> but it's really right there that's oh right oh my goodness whether it's yeah. a national monument or whether it's a house that's in a movie that really means something to you it's so precious and it transported you and it was at a time that was difficult but the movie spoke to your thing or whatever it was and then it becomes real and it you know i can understand i don't i'm not there i can certainly have a grip on the reality versus fantasy but i can understand how some people can slip and have a hard time being able to distinguish between the two and well that house is right there i live in the neighborhood where this was filmed so that's real so everything else must be real well no no not exactly so but it's fun in a way to allow those lines to blur just a little bit even for a moment you know hi christopher lloyd hi christopher lloyd hi christopher lloyd i'd be the one that he'd be like could you just give this guy an autograph and make him go away you know (laughs) in some cases i could see myself doing that but at the same time i'd like to meet him get five minutes and then go sit down and actually just get, don't hyperventilate. get through it and then talk and just let the moment pass. If Got you know it. it's coming, you can prepare. 
if all of a sudden I turn around to Starbucks and they're, <gasps> I might not be able to hold it, you know, so those kind of things. But I've had enough experience with musicians and what our regular jobs are and that kind of thing. I got to sing a duet with some people at one point just behind the scenes. That was awesome, you know, cool. But, um, yeah, so when you find those intangibles and even things like going on a pilgrimage to this location where such and such was filmed, even getting a prop or a replica of a prop. I've got a few lightsabers at my house. You know. A life-size Darth Vader in your house, too. Well, he's not life-size. He's like three feet tall. So okay. my, my son likes to beat up Darth Vader. <laughs> but uh, it was one of those things they sold at Target. But I've got, I don't know how many lightsabers. My wife, God love her, just cleaned the garage this last weekend. I had no idea she was going to do it. She said, Dave, I could have got really hammered if I took a shot for every lightsaber I found in the garage. She's like, yeah, baby, that's what turns you on. <laughs> but, I mean. We're getting pretty deep into this episode now. I can. But tell. that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's those kind of things. It's a little tiny toy lightsaber you could get at Target, you know, that I've collected over the years. But that's something that, you know, Mike is waiting in the wings for my kiddo as he's starting to explore and discover Star Wars. He's seen the original. He's not seen anything other than some of the cartoon Star Wars. But I have plans when winter comes. I think he's ready for understanding the big twist in Empire Strikes Back. I didn't want to show him too early, you know, because he wouldn't he'd be too young right. to really get the gravity of it. Right. So I want to just wait. He's seen the original like three, maybe four times now. And so he loves it. He yeah. loves it. He knows there's more. He just, you know, what's this BB-8 thing? We didn't see BB-8 in Star Wars. You were getting there, buddy. I've got a plan for you. Don't worry. I'll show him E.T. this coming Halloween. He'll get to see E.T. for the first awesome. time. and awesome. Probably see his dad cry, too. It still gets me. <laughs> still gets me. But, I mean. And what these, a charming moment. Yeah. It's, it's going to be fun to watch him get into the same thing, and he's already starting to. But you... To, to grab onto something that is so intangible, and, and, and whatever that is, whether it's a toy lightsaber or taking a pilgrimage, I'm going to go to Universal Studios and I'm going to go get the VIP pass so I can wander kind of on my own for the most part. If that was me, next time I go to somewhere around L.A., yeah, we're going to Universal Studios and at least I'm going to get the VIP pass and I'm going to go wander Hill Valley and all this stuff. And I'd love to touch the town, the the, the courthouse square. The clock tower. I know. I've seen the video on YouTube. It's an empty shell if you go behind it. There's nothing there. Even the Hollywood Walk of Fame. You know, going to a place like that, I'm sure, sure. for people is a neat experience to see. Oh, there's that person's name, and they were standing there, and it's their their spot. Oh, and yeah. It, it, it's part of that, too. I've got a friend of mine from college. Uh, hi, Kai. Give her a quick shout-out. Who works in movies, out at usually out of Warner Brothers. She has lunch almost every day out somewhere on the Warner Brothers lot, on like the back neighborhood, like Wisteria Lane and so forth, the fountain from Friends, the credits. She's, you know, there's tables and stuff. She'll have lunch there. She posted on social media. And nice. I'm kind of jealous. She's having lunch today at the Leave it to Beaver house. Oh, that's wonderful. Here's the house from the middle. I'm eating lunch there too. Hey, that's, that's the house from Lethal Weapon. Great. That's awesome. You know, but to her, it's just every day it's work. But at the same time, she gets enough of a thrill out of it. She's seen the wizard behind the curtain, so it still has a thrill, but she gets the reality. She knows it. It's just, you know, shells with hornet's nests built into them. But, but I'm still. sure I'm sure for her, too, it's something to fuel the imagination a yeah. little bit as well. Seeing what's been done before yeah. and maybe what's to come. Yeah. yeah. If I ever go out to L.A., I'm going to hit her up. I'm going to talk to her in probably 20 years. But, hey, guy, can I come to the Warner Brothers lot and just be your 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 gimp or whatever and just look around and see what's there i don't know you're gonna be one of those weird guys aren't you you Maybe, could just be a coffee cool. runner or something that simple yeah <laughs> so you know things like that i you know would you ever get the chance is there any movie 
Lawrence of Arabia, for example. Where they, I'm assuming they filmed that at the time. Could have been in Africa. Yeah, they, they filmed, I think, a large portion of it in Spain, but I believe they did go to some portions of northern Africa as well. But, so would you ever uh, go on a pilgrimage and go check out some of the spots? No, I, I don't think I... I would. I don't think there's quite as much appeal with going to a place like that where it's, it could be anywhere. Yeah. You know, it, it could just be anywhere with some of the locations that they filmed a movie like that in. Now, I've been to Chicago, and it's kind of cool going in, going through Chicago and going as you drop down beneath the, the surface level of, oh, of the city Batman. and going... Did the Batman and Joker fight here? <laughs> Were they? Because uh, I think I've been in some of those tunnels. I think I have. Yeah, or, dark, or around Batman them. Begins and Dark Knight were in Chicago. They did the third one in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Pittsburgh, yeah. So your home state anyway. Right. I, I haven't been into Pittsburgh itself. I've been by Pittsburgh, but okay. I haven't been into it itself. But yeah, I've thought about that. I, I thought that that would be be kind of cool someday you know if i ever if i ever end up going to las vegas on a trip which i closest i've ever been is hoover dam if i ever go to las vegas it might be kind of funny to go <laughs> those casinos got robbed <laughs> those casinos got robbed yeah funny <laughs> or enough. just going to the fountain where they are at the end of the movie too like something like that i thought would be you know it might be kind of fun funny enough they do a big broadcasting convention out in vegas that i'd gone to a couple times and i was out there just before and just after for one year and then the next year. And they filmed Ocean's Eleven in the middle. And so I went to the Bellagio really? Fountains. And there was just, it was just the fountains. Like, that's cool. Yeah, they're filming a movie here pretty quick with this guy. Like, that's cool. And then I saw the movie. And then the next spring we went back. I was like, wow, I, I was just at those fountains the year before. And it resonated and now it meant something different. Yep. You know? Yeah. I think for me, though, it'll be more of a if I end up there in that location sure i'll i'll give it a look but some of the intangible for me dave is the movie going experience you know even that itself we talked about kind of bringing this podcast episode full circle you know we talked about that at the beginning some of the intangible for me is the film going experience or the watching experience showing a movie to some of my friends for the first time you know i i got to show a friend of mine, Ocean's Eleven, just for the first time the other weekend. That was great, you know, seeing him. He, he's like, I love financial crime movies. I was <laughs> like, hey, I got one for you. That's quite a niche genre right it there. It is a niche genre, but he's very interested in that. Um, so we watched Ocean's Eleven. I've got a, another friend, a, a wife of a really good friend of mine. She has never seen Inception before. And we're oh. like, get ready. This is this is going to be an experience when we watch this one. Um, I, I love that. I And I just so, showed uh, two friends of mine the movie alien for the first time the other night that was great because one of them had seen prometheus and he's like i know there's more to it than just this and i was like oh yeah you're gonna get a lot better you're gonna you're gonna understand a lot more of prometheus by watching alien and aliens then so we're gonna watch aliens this week um watch the director's cut version if you have the option it's a little longer but it's better i'll see I'll see if I can dig Depending it up. Depending on what version you have, it's either is it on it or it's not on it. But if you don't have it, let me know. I'll loan it to you. The director's version is better. But even the film going and the film experience. Oh, yeah. That part of it and, and showing somebody that for the first time. That is another tangible, intangible that is so great. And even just seeing a movie on the big screen, that feeling. You know, I've said, I've said it before with Inception – 
that's one movie I, I would have loved to see on the big screen. Seeing Lawrence of Arabia on the big screen was incredible, just jaw-dropping. That's another one of those intangibles that, that makes the tangible something something that resonates a little bit differently. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and nowadays, some of that stuff that was tangible, even for the making of the movie, doesn't exist. Whether it's a set, it's all CGI. Whether it's a character in the costume, eh, it's all CGI. There's not one piece of clone trooper armor that exists that was ever used in the movie. Hmm. If you see somebody at a con or something wearing a true, a true, a, I can't say it, I want to say stormtrooper, clone trooper from the prequel movies, they made it or they bought it, but it was not used in the movie. There's not one piece of those at all that was not CGI that was used in the movie. It doesn't exist. You know, there are exceptions where, yeah, the, the Tatooine village that they go to in The Phantom Menace, they built that and it's still there, actually. They never tore it down. It cool. is still there. But beyond that, if you're going to go to Naboo, well, that's some you know palace in Italy. They just filmed it as is. You know, they just took something that exists. They didn't oh, yeah. change it at all. Lake Como. I mean, yeah. for, for example, in Attack of the Clones, I mean, you can tell that's Lake Como yeah. when, when they're going there. But other places, nope, it didn't exist at all. You can't go there. Well, what about this? Nope, didn't exist. Well, what about the thing that the guy held? Nope, that was all CGI. And I miss that a lot of that stuff is kind of going away. It's not practical in-camera work like it used to be. Um, you know, you see some amazing moments. Wow, that is the coolest thing. But it never really existed. It only existed in a computer. And that's kind of the other thing nowadays. Physical media is going away. So DVDs and Blu-ray and that kind of thing are fading away. But everyone can stream everything. Well, I fell in love with the box art from stuff. You know, you don't get that anymore. And even when you go to the menu on, say, Netflix or whatever, you don't get the similar experience. And we did touch base on this a few episodes back. It's one aspect of falling in love with movies that just you don't get anymore. It's not an option. It just doesn't exist anymore. It's gone. So that's just one less thing. It's not physical and tangible. At least I've got this movie in my house. No, you don't. You just, it's in the pipes that are the internet. You just get a window to look into it, and that's all you get. It never really came into the house, and as soon as it's over, it's done, and it's gone, and it's out of your house. You don't get to cuddle with the box art or whatever, you know. <laughs> I would pick up the box after the, a movie and look at it even more so adoringly like I was reading a novel on the couch. You know, like, wow, soaking in whatever nuance I could get from it. Heck, even at the gas station where they would rent movies, you'd like, wow. It's just a taste, but it was something, and you don't get that anymore. So some of those tangibles are becoming less tangible than they used to be. So in some ways, maybe it's harder for that. But then again, with the invention of the internet, you find out where any scene of any movie was ever filmed and it might have been in a town not too far from where you are and you can go and visit the stairs at the end of The Exorcist or whatever the case. Um, little corners in the middle of nowhere that people may not know about, but something special happened there and you can find it and you can get there and be cool if it's a real house and people do live in those places and be cool, but still... Got to hang on to those things. If it's like something like a box art, you know, an appreciation of that, those are things to hang on to. Yeah. Don't get crazy. I know if someone almost bought me a shirt that somebody wore in a movie for, I don't know how much that would have cost, but yeah, that's I, 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 I don't much. need that. Yeah. That's, I appreciate yeah. the thought, but no, I don't need it. But, uh, you know, I got a Stormtrooper helmet that was pretty cool. Probably cost 20 bucks. That's pretty cool. That's Still have it. pretty neat. My yeah. kiddo loves to wear that thing. <laughs> Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater, talking about the tangible intangibles today a little bit. This was a great idea, Dave. I, I When you brought this idea up yesterday, I thought that there was some real possibility with this. And it, it's great to go a little bit off the beaten path with 
something like this because these are the things that resonate a little bit when you're watching the movies and then you kind of see these things in real life or you maybe you own some of these things then in real life it it's something to grasp as far as that that little bit of resonance that comes with or sometimes a lot of resonance that comes with watching these films some people enjoy watching movies some people consume movies like it was food like it's fuel and others it's a craft that they just soak in. It is fine, fifteen course meal, and you savor every bite, and you want as much a piece of that as you possibly can. It's deeper than enjoyment. It is, I mean, this true love is what it is. And in some cases, <laughs> I'm not mean every movie. There's some movies that if I never see them again, and I don't care how oh, it was one of the best movies ever made. Eh, saw it, didn't like it. You know, it's whatever speaks to you. It's like art. You know, some people think Back to the Future is awesome. It's pretty cool. Me, I'm like, oh, if I ever had a chance to spend the night in that car, I would. Even if it was one of the replicas that somebody had made, can I just sleep in the driver's seat? I promise I won't drool. I'll just be there, I suppose, $200. Here you go. You know, done. Done. You know, yes. Would I? Yes, I would. I would wake up with a real stiff neck, I'm sure. But yes, I would do it because I'm one of those fans. That's right. But not everything. I would love to go to Martha's Vineyard and see where they filmed Jaws. Oh, that'd be Oh, yeah. So, and the list goes on. We could go on this rabbit hole forever, but uh, we should probably wrap things up. I think we could keep going. We're going down the Ted Stryker path here, if you know Airplane. But it is a good reminder, though, too. And I think of this sometimes when when I'm watching something unfold before me, like especially something that's very natural like going for a hike in nature or you see like a cloud descending on on the area or a nice sunset yeah you want to snap the photo of it you want to enjoy the tangible of it all but take the moment to set that down and enjoy the intangible and just enjoy the moment too take it in i think that applies for movies that applies for life put your phone down now and again and just kind of live that's right rather than tap into I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks, the obsessed fan. (laughs) Not all that obsessed, I'd say. I think that today proved that. He's harmless. Thanks for joining us, as always, and we will see you at the movies.